So welcome to Biblical Soul Care Sunday School. Um, we are in the last descriptor of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul gives us in Galatians 5.23. Uh, we've come to self-control. And I'm sure this is going to be everybody's favorite because, you know, it's fun to think about self-control. But um, just to start off with, how might the concept of self-control be admired and approved in the world? <coughs> I've seen some uh, attention given to stoicism, where mm-hmm. people, you know, are very disciplined, they take cold showers, they wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, they, you know, go through a certain regimen. It's self-denial or uh-huh. self-control, mm-hmm. um, but without a spiritual emphasis. Mm-hmm. So it's just the practice of discipline. Yeah, so just not doing what's easy or doing things that are uncomfortable is kind of, I've, I've seen that same thing. There's like a trend to put your body through very uncomfortable things. Um, and, and there's different goals. Sometimes it's for health reasons, like they want some health benefit. Um, but that, but it, that is admired. It's like, wow, I, it's impressive that that person will do that to himself or herself. And then be sure to post it on Oh, oh, of course, of course, yes. Yeah. What do people do before social media? I don't know. So yeah, okay. What else? What other ways does the culture kind of approve of self-control? How might it be celebrated? That's a good one. So you have a reputation for never losing your temper with your kids or, or uh, with a variety of things. Okay, that's a good one. Takes a lot of self-control. Uh, what about in athletics? We admire these athletes that we watch on TV or sometimes in person when we go, um, and they are ama- able to do amazing things. Um, are the Olympics coming up? I feel like it, I've seen a, a commercial or two. So yeah, the Olympics are coming up. That's going to be a, a spot where we can, a lot of times they'll do some kind of little storyline of a, a particular athlete and how their regimen, their workout regimen, their diet, all of their, their years of training has led them to this moment where they have an opportunity to win, you know, basically the title of the best in the world at a sport. And that's admirable to a lot of people in our, in our culture. It takes a lot of work. Uh, I've looked at, uh, into Tom Brady a little bit and kind of what he did, uh, what he ate, his, his, what he did with his body to make his career last a long time. And that was pretty impressive. I would never do some of the things that he did and control the foods that he put into his body. So, on the flip side of that, where in our culture, just dealing with the the world around us, uh, where would they disapprove of self-control? What was the question? 
where, where might they disapprove of self-control? They might look down on somebody who's controlling themselves in a certain way. Christians, for example, don't do the things that society deems acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, their language. language would be one. They just if you never um, fly off the handle, if you don't get angry. So when he was talking about how there's there's an appreciation and admiration for some uh, in some circles where controlling your mouth is very Good, and there's a section where it's like, well, that's you're not being authentic if you don't just let it out. Okay, and this is a soul care Sunday school class. There's there's a um, secular belief that if you don't let out your anger or if you don't let out your emotion, you're bottling it up and you're going to cause more problems. So you, it's better to vent. It's better to let it all out. Why control that? Any other examples? I'm just thinking, like, when someone's wronged you, I guess, like, in the world, like, mm-hmm. we're supposed to just lose control and yell and fight. And... Yeah. There is a, it's huge right now, protests about everything. Airing of grievances, wanting reparations for all the bad things that somebody did to me. They didn't give you ketchup for your french fries. I mean, there's a big reason for this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Someone was checking your receipt at Walmart. And he was like, they were, and I just was like, man, that used to be me. I'm so thankful that I get to walk by and say, now that's, you know. Mm So, yeah. We're just, yeah, ketchup. It's just that wanting. We're, I was actually at a, a conference for work, and they were talking about it. Where's the lawyer giving a, a presentation, and she was talking about how um, lawsuits against schools are way up right now because people—it's just kind of the the air we're breathing right now—is you must have done something to my child or to me or to my family, or how how dare you? discriminate against my kid or like there's just it's all over the place and everything is interpreted as you're attacking me in the area of sexuality right that is a huge one um, why would you restrain yourself and there's a lot of different ways that that takes place we, we, we come to the transgenderism stuff we come to homosexuality, heterosexuality outside of marriage. There's a whole lot of um, discussion that would be looked down upon. Who are you to say that I should not just act on who I am? And so that that whole line is a rejection of any kind of self-control. So, amongst believers, you find it's the same or different. Do Christians admire 
self-control as a quality more or less than the culture around us, what would you say? It's more attractive, there, for, for sure. It ought to be, right? It, not, we're not losing. But there's other people that are also telling me like that. That is who I should be mm-hmm. in Christ. So, I mean, other people that I come in contact with here at church, that's yeah. What I should. That's good. Is it ever looked down upon? In, maybe not at this church, but just among Christians, have you heard any talk about what? What does a conversation tend to go if we're talking about? self-control, self-discipline. Is it ever viewed negatively? I think it could be viewed on that pendulum swing of like legalism, overdoing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, legalism. I think uh, Joe mentioned kind of that um, stoicism or the asceticism that just, I'm just going to deny myself these things and and it's going to make me more godly. So it, and it can be. It can go that way, and it can be legalism. Uh, but I think we need to be careful because that, that is a temptation. When you see somebody not doing something that maybe you like to do, if I like to participate and watch that game on a Sunday afternoon, and but someone else had, had their conviction, and they just communicated, I don't watch football on Sundays. I just want the whole day to be the Lord's day. And I'm like, ooh, legalist. Watch the Chiefs. What's wrong with you? Yeah, so like there, there can be if I if I feel a little like ugh, like maybe I feel a little bit of conviction or something. I I need to be careful not to say you're just to be an illegalist. So there there are and could be, or it could be that they are have a conviction and they're acting on faith under the direction of the Holy Spirit to control their desire to watch a football game or do something else. So when is it difficult? We've talked about a few of the cases, but now thinking more about Christians, when is it going to be difficult in the life of a believer to show self-control? You can answer for a friend. (laughs) Our with children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with children who maybe are not obeying their parents, as Ephesians 6 1 would say, right? Okay. Any other? Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Cattle. Oh, cattle. What do those little cattle do to you, Alan? <laughs> Levi said swather, so I feel like a far <laughs> situation going here. <laughs> With equipment that's malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> okay. I've been so much like breakfast and type of thing. 
Are you talking about like waiting in line or they took the last breakfast burrito and I won five of them. Okay. Yep. Yeah, overindulging in the delicious food. Yeah. Sometimes with technology. 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 Huge one. So when you have an inconsistent routine, mm-hmm. or when things are interrupting it, okay, or when you're tired, you didn't have your coffee. Mm-hmm. What about in traffic? That's also for a friend. I don't know anything we're talking <laughs> about. Um, any other thoughts before we move on? I think if you can think about when you uh, might struggle to exercise self-control, that will help us to kind of be focused as we're looking here um, through these scriptures. Um, our objective today is to kind of take a look through um, mostly the New Testament and seeing what the, what the New Testament says about self-control, what it means, what Paul mostly is, is writing to us about here. Um, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the definition uh, of the word Paul uses in Galatians 5.23 when he says gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Um, he uses the word incratreia, or I'm not sure how you say that, but um, as you might imagine, it means self-control. He's like controlling passions, controlling your desires in any given moment. That's what we're talking about. We should always be exercising self-control. So when temptations arise, that's when we need self-control. The believer is to have dominion over your desires and passions and lusts. The believer is to be ruled by a desire to glorify and love the Lord Jesus Christ and not satisfy his own cravings and desires. So it's not super commonly used in the New Testament. There are just a few uses of this exact word. We're going to look at them uh, at those each, but we're also he also uses another word, sophron. And this word basically means the same thing. And, and in some cases it's more of a broad brush. He, he paints a broad brush of just self-control in all things and how that works itself out in your life, in all your decisions, um, in the way that you behave and act and think. Um, that it's basically to be in control of your heart and in your desires. So let's look at that first word. Um, so Paul uses it in Galatians 5.23, and Luke also uses the same word in Acts 24. Um, and this is an interesting instance where Paul is before Felix. And Felix comes with his wife. and says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned with him about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. The word is fearful. He was afraid. Felix got scared. And he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. 
So, Felix is the governor of Caesarea. He enjoyed a lot of honor, and privilege, and power. Why would he have responded with alarm to Paul's words? When his wife, something to do with his wife, his own, his own personal walk, his own personal life, did not exemplify self-control. Yeah. And he knew he was guilty. He was known as kind of a brutal kind of a leader. He was not, he was... Um, he was born a slave, actually, and through just he happened to be have some favor with um, the ruler. He was installed as as a governor eventually. And then he married Drusilla, who was Jewish, related to King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, and then so then they he, she sorry Felix was her second husband. She did, she left a guy to go marry Felix. Not great, but. So, their, their lifestyle certainly is part of that. What else might be going on there? Well, it shows his righteousness and self-control are related to a judgment that's coming. Mm-hmm. Not sparked here. Yeah, if that's true, if what you're telling me is true, and I have to show self-control and righteousness, and that is not my pattern of life, and you're telling me now that there's judgment coming. That would be cause for fear. It's interesting that, that Felix doesn't just like brush him off. That's what I would expect someone to do today. Someone who's living just a completely just enslaved to their, their passions, and they hear somebody talk to them about um, the righteousness of God and how he expects holiness and all who don't um, believe in Christ and repent are going to hell for eternity they a lot of them I think would just be like that's just your made up belief in a whatever so they, and they would scornfully dismiss it but it's interesting that Felix is fearful so that means that he kind of thinks there might be something to this And Whitney kind of touched on that question number six. It's interesting that he, he connects, that Paul, in talking to Felix, connects righteousness and judgment with self-control. Why do you suppose he does that? hard to be righteous if you're not exercising self-control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are two polar opposites. Right. You don't get one without the other. Righteousness, right, especially as God defines righteousness, mm-hmm. is not natural. So you have to exercise self-control. And it is, I mean, in verse 24, Paul heard him, uh, oh, sorry, he sent for Paul and heard Paul speak to him about faith in Christ Jesus. So faith in Christ Jesus has with it righteousness, self-control, coming judgment. That's part of the gospel. There is, um, and we're going to 
come across this a couple of times this morning as we go through these scriptures, but there, um, it's it's kind of that that old question of um, faith without works is dead in James two. Well, I thought I thought it was just faith alone. Well, yes, it is faith alone that justifies you, but the faith that saves you has with it it brings with it a change in your heart so you desire righteousness you work to control your passions and desires and you put those things to death with the power of the Holy Spirit Um, so in with Paul preaching the gospel to Felix he's telling him that if you believe if you have faith in Christ this is what it's going to look like and obviously for Felix, it did not look like that. So even if he did uh, profess faith. Let's look at Second Peter 1, um, 3 through 8. And really the, the key verse is verse 6 is where we see it. But I wanted to give a little context to it. Second um, Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why is self-control necessary to supplement faith? Why might it be helpful for someone, a Christian, to be thinking about, okay, I need to add self-control. I need to be growing in this virtue of self-control. Why would that be helpful to a Christian? It keeps you from being unfruitful. Yeah. If you, we're all supposed to be fruitful, right? Um, we're supposed to be fruitful Christians, and that, if we want to be fruitful, we can't ignore <coughs> self-control and these other virtues that are listed. I think verse 5, it kind of gives us a clue that we, um, we're we making these efforts. And, and as we grow in Christlikeness and all of these virtues, that I think for us as Christians, it helps give us some assurance of salvation. In other places, Peter writes about um, making every effort to make your calling and election sure. Now, does the effort, is that what makes your calling and election sure? No. But it's in, in our own, as we examine our lives and our, the patterns of living and our habits and our desires, if we don't see any of these things growing, we probably shouldn't be very secure that, oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Are you growing in, in these virtues? Well, no. But I prayed, you know, and I go to church. That, those are, that, you're on shaky ground. And so as we're, we're counseling people and as we're, we're walking with them uh, through their life, Circumstances that brought us brought them to us for help, we can help them to understand. Growing in these virtues 
is God's gracious way to help us in our self-evaluation. Not that it saves us. Not that that's what saves us. But it can help. If you were lacking in assurance, why might that be? Are you growing in these virtues, in the virtue of self-control? Okay. What is the opposite of self-control in verse 4? Yeah, exactly. Letting your control Yeah. The corruption that comes from sinful desire. Exactly. So, and then Judy already touched on this. What will happen in our lives, in our lives if we don't have self-control? What's well, going to lead to unfruitfulness, ineffectiveness, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that's pretty scary. Especially for um, people, we love, and I think rightly, we love knowing doctrine, knowing what the Bible says, knowing things about Christ and about the Lord, about the Trinity and all of the theology. As a church, we do love that. And I think that is good. But if we are learning and reading all of those things and we are not growing in self-control, there is, there's cause for evaluation I need to look at myself because if I'm not I'm just filling my head with knowledge with no action and no result in my heart in my life I'm in danger of being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ knowing a lot of stuff not a lot of change in my heart So, the next few verses are, are related to that same root word, that root Greek word. Um, and they're like the verb form or something similar. So, 1 Corinthians 7, 9 says, They cannot exercise self-control. If they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So, is this verse teaching that marriage solves a lust problem in the prospective husband or wife? Having some less problems, just marry him and it'll take care of itself. Is that what it does? That's what Paul is advocating there. <clears throat> Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians real quick. And there's, there's a couple of contextual things that will help us. Because Paul uses this word self control. Here a couple of different times. Now it's helpful to kind of think about who he's writing to. Corinthians. What do we know about Corinthians? They got some issues, right? They had some issues. They had they were accepting one guy who was having relations with his father's wife. It was not a good thing, and they were not doing anything about it. So there, we've got a dysfunctional church. And Paul is writing to them about specific concerns. So look at, start in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 7, 9. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his, to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 
And do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come again, come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, what is Paul teaching the Corinthians? Or what do we know about the Corinthians from, from reading those verses? They're tempted to sexual immorality. Yeah. So and in in Corinth, that was another thing that was all around <coughs> sexual immorality everywhere. And this so there's a lot of temptation to that. And he's warning them, don't try to be like super strong and just resist it and then don't make these foolish decisions as a married couple to abstain for no particular reason just to abstain there is in Corinth like I said there was um, a lot of sexual immorality in the culture and then these believers these new converts are lacking in self-control so he's cautioning them this is not a prescription for us today to say, oh, this young man or this young woman is struggling with um, pornography. So let's, if we just get them married, though, that'll take care of it. That is not what we're seeing here. Um, what we are seeing is, like Miles said, sexual immorality, sexual purity is a very um, huge problem area for self-control. This is one of the big areas where um, people will lack self-control. Maybe it affect their ministry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It will destroy that. You can't be effective too for Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was affecting Cor the church at Corinth. Doing their church. Right. Yeah, it was. It was really messing with their witness. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, this this is one of those areas where we're gonna have we're probably gonna see a lot of people wanting counsel, needing counsel, needing counsel our own selves, our own hearts, evaluating where how are you being sexually pure? Are you what are you looking at allowing into your mind? Those are things gonna that are gonna come up a lot in this area of self control. Um, and they're not not to say that that's the only thing. Of course, we can just list it off but about a dozen other things, other areas of life where self-control um, where we have to master and have dominion over our passions and over the temptations and desires that are in our flesh. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9. Just a couple of chapters later, Paul uses it uh, as we've kind of talked about it in athletics. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
So why does the world exercise self-control in this context? Temporary accolades. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, for temporary awards or recognition of some kind. And specifically here, there, it was the athletes who were really working hard so they can get that wreath. They obviously see benefits in self-control. Mm-hmm. But there are benefits to it. Yeah. They pick and choose. Is it good to be strong yeah. and fast and athletic? Sure. It can be helpful. It can lead to a like more healthy lifestyle, more comfortable lifestyle. But they pick and choose where they want to mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm. It was strictly physical, it seems. Mm-hmm. They're, ex- they're exercising self-control in all things. And that reminds me of, of the Olympians that I've kind of just done some re- reading about in the past where they are so careful with their diet. They're so careful with their training. Um, there, there's lifting weights and then there's all these other calisthenics and stretches and all of these things that they do with their bodies. They, they go into these <coughs> weird chambers that do some kind of weird thing to the pressure and oxygen and stuff like that. All kinds of stuff they'll do. They're extremely careful with what they put into their bodies or what they put their bodies around even. And they're using some pretty impressive self-control. You also hear these horror stories of like the Olympic Village once they finish their event and they've been so self-controlled for so long with their just the promiscuity and drugs and alcohol and all of the lack of self-control just goes the opposite direction mm-hmm. once they finished this extreme regimen. So that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Self-control to a point, yeah. The prize. Mm-hmm. They get the prize and then it's just let loose. Yeah. You think about when when any team uh, wins a championship, what do they do the next day or that night and into the next day? There's a lot of not (laughs) self-control going on, right? There's a lot of letting um, their passions rule at that point. All season they went and off-season having a structured, disciplined, self-controlled lifestyle and then they met their goal and now no need anymore. Okay. That's a good point. What would be a modern equivalent to the perishable wreaths of Paul's day? Why do people discipline themselves today? I mean, I don't know any Olympians. I don't know if you do, but... There might be some more um, common expressions of this. Working really hard, disciplining myself for this perishable wreath. I think in education in particular, some of it is getting the next degree, Mm. cycling up. Some of that is good. I mean, it would help you to provide more for your family or or whatnot. But some of it is also just, I already have one, I might as well get another. Mm -hmm. How many master's degrees can you get? Mm -hmm. Until you get your doctorate and so on, PhD. Yeah, so discipline yourself to get awards and certifications and degrees. Your, your retirement account, enslaving this yourself to that goal is, mm-hmm. is a, there's a control after that, but it, it mm-hmm. perishes. 
yeah, showing a lot of financial self-control, not buying that thing or the biggest house I could or the nicest car and not doing that, all of that so that I could have this retirement. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I think our culture focuses a lot on physical beauty mm-hmm. and the amount of social media followers and things that come from that self-discipline mm-hmm. to get to that point. Yeah. Whether you're an athlete or you're just a mom blogger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So j- social media is one I thought I thought of. The wreath is like, did my video or picture? Did my video go viral? Did I get a lot of attention for that post? How many readers read my blog? How many views did my, you know, post get? Like all of, all of those things are, I might discipline myself to pump out a lot a lot of content so that I can make it big or I can get those that attention or those followers. I can be an influencer. A lot of likes. <clears throat> so I think that's a big one today to get the recognition, especially among younger people and kids. I think there's just also just the recognition, promotions at work, um, disciplining myself, putting in those extra hours so that I can get this recognition or um, this extra project get my name up on the wall, employee of the month. <clears throat> so we've, and we've talked a little bit, I'm going to skip number 14. We've talked a little bit about the links that people will go to. <clears throat> what about, um, how should Christians be similar in our exercise of self-control? When you're talking about some of those things like education or finance, or things like, mm-hmm. those are good stewardship opportunities. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, there is this pendulum swing of like, is this legalism or is mm-hmm. this walking by faith and working through faith? Mm-hmm. So those are all categories where we we are supposed to steward and not splurge on too many things and just keeping your waste. body healthy is another like it's good <clears throat> to be yeah. healthy. Yeah. We should be careful what we eat and drink, right? We should be careful how we spend our money. We should be careful how we spend our time. We should be careful with how we parent and the advice that we give. <clears throat> so it won't hinder our ministries. Mm-hmm. If I can give to the Lord, how that any hinder our ministries? Mm-hmm. And if we look here at, at the verses, these athletes, Paul is not saying it's bad that they are exercising self-control in all things. He's saying, he's saying that's, look at how, how committed they are to this. And they're doing it for something that is perishable, that will last for a little while, and then it goes away. We should be doing the same things, is the, the implied statement here, as Christians. We are doing these things. He's assuming that these Christians are Exercising self-control in all things. Why? For an imperishable crown. So I do not run aimlessly, he says. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Mm -hmm. 
we should, <clears throat> people should look at, at my life and think, it's mm, a little bit extreme there, Brock. Like if, if I am pursuing Christ-likeness in the way that Paul's describing here, there be, should be some things about my life that would be like, to people watching, like, that's a little extreme. There should be something different about how we pursue the imperishable crown that is offered to believers in Scripture if we are not exercising self-control that should cause us to do some reflection there's something different because Paul's assuming that these people are supposed to be doing that <coughs> and all the more because we have a better reason to do it and it's, and it's like it's like Marcy has said a couple times they're, they're, we want to be careful like I'm not going to take what I'm doing necessarily and say why aren't you guys doing what I'm doing like I, you know how much I read yesterday like you, what are you all doing in JV like, th like that is me putting my particular struggles and attempts to control myself onto you as if that is something you are um, now bound to do is where I would get into trouble. That's sinful. That's one of the ways I could get in trouble. Right? So I'm not going to take the ways that I know the passions and desires of my heart and what I need to be ruthlessly fighting to kill them in my flesh should look extreme to someone. Okay? And if there's nothing in my heart, nothing in my life, where I'm working hard to control it and put it to death, that's probably a problem, right? There should be something. Where are you fighting sin? Where am I fighting sin? Brock, I think another temptation is you go from self-control to self-discipline to self-denial. <coughs> And then the more I self-deny, the more I'm suffering, which produces right. You know, so then you get that self-righteousness. Like, I'm going to deny myself all these things because I'm going to suffer. Because I want to suffer. You know, like that self-inflicted. So I think the pendulum can swing mm -hmm. both ways to where you feel self-righteous because of your self-discipline. Yeah. And I, like with so many things, what is the point? How are we going to keep ourselves from swinging too far to either way? If I start from on the outside saying, okay, I just, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to think I'm being a legalist here, or I, I don't want anybody to think I'm like, just give it into every, if I'm starting from what people are going to think about what I'm doing, that's a problem, right? <coughs> My goal in exercising self-control is what? What is it? glorify Christ, to know Him, to follow Him, to obey Him. If that's my goal, if that's where I'm centering on, and my efforts aren't helping me know Him and love Him and worship Him and glorify Him, I'm going to get into trouble. But if that's my focus, I'm going to be less likely to stray on either side. 
because I know what's keeping me from closer communion with Christ. My sin. And if Christ is my treasure, if Christ is the goal and end of my life, I'm going to put to death anything that's getting in the way. And I'm going to be less likely to be looking at, well, what's Levi doing? I don't know if he's, what is he, what are his habits? like? That's not in my mind. My sin and putting it to death is on my mind. Loving Jesus better, following him more closely is on my mind. That's how I'll be able to make some decisions here on what I need to be extreme about. Any other comments or questions or anything like that? Do you think, this could be for anybody, um, I've been thinking about, do you think that self-control in some areas of life encourage self-control in others? Mm. I don't know. So somebody's just discouraged with, and this is a lot to think about, mm. self-control issues everywhere. Where would be a good place to start? Like, to encourage more, mm. if that does. If it doesn't, then I'd be and I think no that's a that's a good question I think um, I've read in I'm trying to remember what, what I think it might have been a um, there's a book on Christian productivity but I, if I'm remembering the book right he, he talks about um, like when you pick something to work on discipline does tend to spread a little bit you know, so if you commit to doing one or two things the, that start sometimes can start a, a ball rolling in, in a sense to leading a more disciplined life. So I think I think there is um, value and merit to that. Any other comments or thoughts on that? I think you can see it small scale with children too. Lindsay mentioned <coughs> when you're out of routine, your self control goes mm-hmm. a little bit. You can see it with children when you've got the routine of we wake up at this time. Mm-hmm. These are the things we do. This is the time we're leaving. This is. They're very good about meeting the expectation, but when mm-hmm. it's a day when it's we have nothing going, mm-hmm. there is no self-control, and they begin to go feral a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or at least my children do. <laughs> I won't speak for your children, but my children certainly. Yeah, do. <laughs> I, I, if I if I if we let our kids like eat whatever they want, like that that does lead there's a, effects to that. Our food and that's true for adults too. If I sometimes if I eat really badly. I'm more likely to be not self-controlled and not um, disciplined in how I talk to people, how I treat people. There, there is a there is a pattern of a lack of self-control in one area will spread, Amen. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when I don't control myself in this seemingly okay thing, I binge watch a TV show for all day yesterday that is going to lead me to some other poor choices, sinful choices. Okay, uh, So in that sense, yes, lacking self-control in certain ways will affect, I think, if I, if I do, I, I'm trying to think, I've read other kinds of books, and this I'm not thinking of a Christian book now, but there's um, a lot of um, content out there that you can find if you do some Google searching. Like, if you get up and the first thing you do is make your bed, like a lot of times that will start you on it. So if you just commit, I'm gonna wake up immediately, make my bed, and then get started with my day. Like there, there's a lot of um, 
communication out there where if you start off disciplined, that has a good effect on the rest of your day. You start out with an exercising or a healthy breakfast or like those kinds of things. If I'm going to commit myself to control, I'm not going to eat this for breakfast, donuts again. I'm going to eat, I don't know, oatmeal. But <laughs> I'm going to eat that and it's going to help me somehow. Like there, there are things you will feel better and I do feel better when I eat better. I, I do feel better if I get a little bit of exercise and if I get enough sleep. Those things require self-control. They require discipline and some planning. And if we do them, we will feel better. They will have good effects. So yeah, I think, I think there is a lot of, a lot of truth. So if somebody's struggling with self-control in the spiritual area, mm. is it good to give them some hope by... Maybe there's some self-control they're lacking in a physical area. Could be. Work on some of this. And the, I, I don't know. I'm just... Yeah, just absolutely. Give hope to... Because maybe it's easier sometimes to discipline yourself in a physical area of life than in a spiritual mm-hmm. one. I and, don't know. And sometimes you link the two. Like what... Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm somebody I'm counseling and they're, they're like, oh, I'm just... I can't seem to kick this. I'm just angry all the time. I'm like, well, what time are you going to bed? What time are you waking up? When are you reading your Bible? I might try to link. So here's here's the deal. You need to discipline yourself. You need to self-control. And when that alarm goes off, oh, this is this hurts a little bit. That alarm goes off. You get up and you read your Bible. When are you reading your Bible? Well, I'm not. I mean, it, it, like three times a week. You know, when I whenever I get to it, like that's a problem. You need to have self-control. If you are not getting the Word in your mind and heart, of course you're going to struggle with anything spiritual, right? You're, you're not going to be Christ-like if you're not listening to His Word. You're not allowing the Word to influence you because something's influencing you. It's either garbage or it's the Word. So some things, th- those, those can be, like, yeah, you need to wake up at, you set your alarm. When are you going to set it for? Six? Okay, set it for six. Get up and read your Bible. Read it for ten minutes. And then... Pray, and so there's probably going to be other conversations along those lines too. But yeah, you can link those two. Um, there's, I've I've uh, got someone in, in my mind where you can tell when this person is not exercising. They're far more irritable, and the little things can set this person off. And it's just one of those, and it's not even a spiritual thing. This one, the person might profess Christianity, but um, there, there's, you can just tell there's a, a clear, from anybody can see it, this person when, when they're exercising in the morning. Does in effect. So there are some, some times where that can be linked together. And we can start with some physical things, but we don't want to leave it there, of course, right? We want to tell them, okay, we'll wake up on time, go to bed on time, and then wake up and read the Bible, or read the Bible and go to bed, however that works out for that person. Um, but yeah, those things can be linked, and they can help build some discipline, because it has to start small, right? If you have a completely undisciplined life, and you try to give the whole, like, seven day a week, three six, like every moment is scheduled, is that going to work? Probably not. But you start... Start somewhere and be consistent with it, and it grows. Any 
closing. We, we have a we have a difficult child. I don't know if it's child or legal, but we we put him in Taekwondo, where it's not a spiritual thing, but he still has to say yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Like they make him do those certain things. We went 15 days without screaming and yelling, mm -hmm. and so like just adding that to where he's still exercising those. I mean, character traits, mm -hmm. I guess, we, we hope for him in Christ. But he's not sitting down with the Bible in front of him, which mm -hmm. is not his yeah. highlight of his day. So, um, I mean, yeah, we've yeah. seen great things in just letting him get his aggression out yeah. in Taekwondo and also still having where he has to be respectful and obey. I mean, they mm -hmm. make him obey while he's there. So Yeah, I've heard of things like the military will do that for some people. The structure of the military helps them to really get some things figured out with their with their lives. The the only issue is that helps to a point and then the heart issues are not helped by that. The heart issues are just suppressed for a moment until like the athlete who wins the championship then it's full vent. So the, the Holy Spirit, I'm kind of bringing this back around, the, this is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, the ability to have dominion over my own um, desires and being able to say no to these things that are sinful comes from that ability, comes from the Holy Spirit. I have to do it still, but I can do it because the Holy Spirit is in me. So... And those we always want to keep, and I know you, you keep preaching the gospel, keep telling them there's hope in Christ. I know, yeah, I, yeah, you just did it again. But in Christ, you know, repenting, faith in Christ gives you the freedom to not have to sin. And that would be, that would be huge for, for those, um, those situations where people are struggling that way. So we'll stop there because we're a little bit over time. And we'll continue page three halfway down next week. Thanks, everybody.